0: right so this is the first part of a series of episodes about trending vocabulary words which have been used a lot in the last couple of years in this series i'm going to be explaining some words and phrases and also discussing the issues that relate to them i've finished recording the whole series now it's all done and there are six parts in total yeah lots of content six parts relating to the Collins Dictionary Words of the Year from 2017 and then 2018 as well. The first four parts are me speaking on my own, and then in the final two parts you'll hear me talking to friend of the podcast Amber Minogue. So get ready for loads of vocab and not just the words of the year that I'm talking about, but also plenty of other nice chunky words and phrases relating to some big issues of the moment that you will hear me using throughout this series. For each episode, you'll find loads of notes and transcriptions on the episode pages on my website. So have a look so that you can see the words I'm using and then you can check them and perhaps add them to your vocabulary lists and so on. All of this is part of what you can do in order to push your English with uh, this series of episodes. Um, Or otherwise, I just hope you enjoy listening to this brand new six-part series starting here. This episode is sponsored by italki, and if you're looking to get regular conversations or English lessons into your life with an actual human being, like an actual human teacher... Uh, then you can do that with italki. It's very convenient and simple. Uh, you can. It's all done through Skype, so you can just be at home and have English lessons in your living room or something. Um, the way it works is you, you use my uh, URL, teacherluke.co.uk slash talk, and then you sign up with italki, and then you use the search bar to kind of filter your searches for teachers. You start with, obviously, by selecting English as the language you're looking for, and then you can use the search bar it's very clever they've got like lots of different criteria so you could choose to search for teachers who uh specialize in IELTS preparation or maybe um you know uh business english or just general english or whatever and that will then allow you to find uh, uh teachers that do those things And you can see that they've got, like, ratings. They'll have star ratings, like five stars out of five, for example. And you can see the number of lessons they've taught. So, obviously, the higher the number uh, and the higher the rating, the better the teacher. You can see their prices as well, because they've got different prices. Most of the time, the prices are pretty reasonable, in my opinion. Um, And uh, you can... Check out videos where they, the teachers introduce themselves to you so you can see what they're like. You can schedule, uh, trial lessons like 30 minute test lessons where you can just sort of find out about the teacher and see if they suit you and if they match uh, your sort of preferred way of doing things and those trial lessons are cheaper than normal ones and then when you're ready you just book some lessons using their online calendar each teacher has got their own online calendar and you just book some lessons and that's it bob's your uncle away you go you've got some um, some one-to-one lessons or just conversation practice booked into your life and that's great. It's really good for your English, very important for your spoken fluency and your communication skills. So, uh, remember if you use my URL and you buy some uh, talking time, iTalkie will send you a voucher, which is equivalent to like a free lesson, basically. So, go to teacherluke.co.uk/slash/talk uh, or click an iTalkie logo on my website. That's it for the sponsorship mentioned. Let's now get stuck into this first part of this series of episodes all about trending vocabulary. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, hello. How are you doing are you all right you're doing okay out there in podcast land uh here is a new episode of the podcast in fact i think this is going to be the first of a short series of episodes and this episode series and i think it'll be a series of at least three episodes maybe more this series is all about the words of the year and uh it's going to contain vocabulary and some general discussion from me about current issues in politics, life, and culture. I originally prepared this episode a year ago in 2017 when the Collins Online Dictionary released their words uh, of the year for that year, but I never got round to recording it. Now it's a year later, and Collins have released a new list for 2018. So I thought that I would record and publish the episodes about the words from 2017 and then do 2018's words as well. That's what this series will be, the words of the year for the last two years running. And I still don't feel completely ready to record this, and I'm sure that there's more preparation work to be done, but I've I've decided, oh, what the hell, it's time to record this. Sometimes you can just spend forever preparing and still not feel like it's ready. So here it is, even though this will probably get into some slightly touchy areas of politics in some cases. Actually, I think that this is one of the reasons I didn't record this episode, or it's it's taken me such a long time to record this because it's quite hard to talk about some of these words and their contexts without getting all bogged down in the politics of the moment. And frankly, a lot of things about the politics of the moment are just exhausting and divisive. Um, I say divisive, meaning the topic just divides people and triggers people. And I don't really want to do that. But I will talk about uh, these things a bit on the podcast for learners of english because it's worth exploring some touchy subjects sometimes so that you can hear the language that relates to these topics and these are as i said um very current uh topics these are very current topics he says typing something so by the way getting triggered triggered it's worth looking at this word this is an expression that's been used a lot over the last few years, to be triggered or to get triggered by something. If someone gets triggered in the, in this context, I mean, it means that they have a quick and strong emotional reaction to something. It could mean getting angry when someone says a particular thing or talks about a certain certain topic in a certain way. It's associated with people getting angry online. Uh, particularly for uh, issues that relate probably relate to like you know issues of politics and sort of identity politics and people being offended by this that and the other for example if i start if I started uh talking about Trump in a negative way, any trump supporters listening might get triggered and might uh, write some kind of quick, angry message in the comments section, and it would be obvious that, that I've upset this person just by even mentioning uh, Trump's name in a less than uh, flattering context. I mean, that sort of thing is more likely if I have, you know, uh, American listeners, I would say, probably. But anyway, that's just an example of, of getting triggered, you see. That's how it's used at the moment. But really triggered has a a more serious meaning or other more serious meanings and that would be when it's that would be when something reminds people of a past traumatic experience like for example a war veteran who had a horrible experience or who had horrible experiences in war and is now living with post-traumatic stress syndrome they might be struggling to deal with the emotional and sensory stress of having been in war and perhaps perhaps loud noises in a film or loud fireworks at night could trigger their post-traumatic stress disorder, causing them to be sort of brought back emotionally or mentally to the battlefield. So that's another example of trigger to trigger some kind of psychological um, uh, um, condition. Uh, to trigger uh, past traumas. Also, we use the expression triggered uh, in another way, people suffering from drug or alcohol addiction who are clean, meaning that they're avoiding drink or drugs. Uh, But something might trigger their old behaviour to come back, right? Like perhaps... Getting involved with an ex girlfriend or boyfriend and then arguing and splitting up with that person. This could trigger cravings for the drugs or alcohol that they used to use a lot in the past. Okay, so there's another use of the word trigger to trigger um, cravings for for alcohol or drugs, to trigger traumatic uh, experiences, to tr- to trigger a, a psychological disorder. Uh, trigger essentially in that sense means to cause something to to happen right and you think you could think about the trigger in a gun right it's a part of a gun a trigger in a gun is the part of the gun that causes it to fire you press the trigger with your finger and that kind of um um kind of provokes the system to 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 fire the, the gun you see so the trigger is the starting point that then leads to the gun being fired bang you see so you can see where the words trigger or triggered come from but in this context I'm talking about people's opinions or people's um people being emotionally triggered by uh let's say someone talking about a certain topic like you know you can imagine i don't know okay let's say you've got a, an uncle who uh, is just really angry about, um, about Brexit and thinks that we should just leave. And he, he tends to get very angry and upset about certain topics. Like, for example, I don't know, immigrants coming into the country and, and stealing people's jobs or immigrants coming into the country and, uh, taking hospital beds or things like that. And, and you're with your uncle. And you're watching the news and there's a, the news, a news report about something going on in a hospital and one of the patients in the hospital is clearly a an immigrant from another country. And your uncle gets triggered and he's suddenly very angry. It's like, you know, oh, it just drives me mad, you know, the, these bloody immigrants draining our resources and taking hospital beds away from good British people. It's like bloody disgusting. And it's like, oh, he got a bit triggered by that news story. Okay. So you can see where the words trigger or triggered have come from and how they can be used uh, these days. Um, You you see triggered a lot in online arguments, you know, on Twitter and in YouTube where people are just, people suddenly get angry in comment sections. And it's like, oh, you know, and then other people are like saying, don't get triggered or I I can see that uh, my argument triggered you and things like this. So there you go. Now, this isn't even one of the words of the year, but I mention it here because I really hope that you don't get triggered by anything in this episode. Instead, I'm just talking about some topics that are very current and which probably affect all of our lives in some way. Uh, but I hope you don't get triggered by any of it. Not all of it is is of political nature, as you will see. I think actually my, my audience don't really get triggered that much. I think you're not the sorts of people who tend to just have like knee-jerk emotional reactions. I hope not anyway. And I suppose I'm just saying that as, in, in a, as a way of expressing my slight concern and yeah it's maybe one of the reasons why it's taken me so long to actually record this because every time i started to prepare it was like oh god i started to write things and it sort of all started to get out of control and in my mind i'm going i've got to be careful on this subject i probably think about it too much don't i i do i overthink things so anyway this is the beginning of this series about the words of the year for the last two years starting with 2017 and then moving on to 2018 for the 2017 words, I'll be on my own. And for the 2018 words, I expect to be joined by pod pal Amber Minogue. OK, so uh, the two of us will, will be together to talk about the 2018 words. OK, good. So let's start with the 2017 Collins Words of the Year. And here we go. This episode is all about 10 words which were used so much in 2017 that they were put into a list of the words of the year by the makers of Collins Dictionary. In this episode, I'm going to go through the words, make sure that you're all clear about what they mean, and then just discuss the issues that relate to those words. So basically, this episode could even be called Some of the Big Issues of the Moment – because these words and phrases represent big movements and issues in culture that have been reported on, discussed, and talked about a lot uh, recently. So what are the Words of the Year? Well, every year Collins, the the dictionary publisher, publishes its Words of the Year list. It's also done by other dictionaries, including Oxford and Merriam-Webster. In 2015, if you remember... I talked to Amber and Paul about the Collins words of the year, which included the words binge watch, meaning to watch lots of episodes of a TV show in in one long session on Netflix or something. Like we binge watched the whole first three series of Game of Thrones at the weekend. We just didn't sleep. We just stayed up all night binge watching Game of Thrones. That was from th- 2015, and also the word "manspread," which is the way that men sit with their legs wide apart, taking up uh, a lot of room and imposing themselves on a situation. So that was the 2000. That was just two words from the 2015 words of the year that I talked about with uh, Amber and Paul. In 2016, the Collins Word of the Year was Brexit, for obvious reasons. The Oxford Word of the Year in 2016 was post-truth, defined by the Oxford Dictionary online as relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. For example, In this era of post-truth politics, it's easy to cherry-pick data and come to whatever conclusion you desire. So, 2016, post-truth. And so, you know, I think you even heard my dad mentioning that in episodes of the Rick Thompson Report, saying we live in a post-truth era, meaning that uh, public opinion is just as likely, or maybe even more likely, to be influenced by emotional... Uh, things than fact-based things so you know this maybe is one of the reasons why so many people voted to leave the EU because they were sort of influenced by just um, stories and also information uh, or campaigns that really were about appealing to people's emotions rather than presenting facts uh, and information people uh, you know in the post-truth era people just sort of don't care about the facts anymore, or they don't, they're cynical about facts. They don't, they feel like they don't believe uh, the uh, information which is presented to them in the news. They think, you know, they've been lied to so many times that in the end, they just prefer to uh, follow um, a more emotional path towards making up their minds. So, this is the post truth era where truth just doesn't matter anymore. It's more about, you know, th- thinking from the gut rather than thinking from the from the head Um, you see Uh, in 2016 yeah I just I've said that paragraph so anyway so that was 2015 and 2016 but now let's talk about the words of the year again this time for 2017 I know this is last year I'm recording this in 2018 but honestly these words are still very much at the center of what's going on I started planning this episode last year, as I said, and only now am I managing to record it. So it's a bit overdue, I know. It's like 12 months late, but this is still worth doing. These words and issues are still very current and they apply to life today, just like they did a few months ago. The plan is to move on to the words for 2018 after this. So there are a couple of links that you might see on the page for this episode. There's the full shortlist. Of the ten words of the year from two thousand and seventeen from Collins Dictionary Online. Also, another link that they, uh, another page they provided, which explains some of the the background to um to to what these words mean. Um, I'll, I'll be going through you know definitions of the words and and you know talking in some cases in quite a lot of depth about them. Uh now generally uh the words of the year list reveals the words and phrases which have seen a spike in usage during the year a spike you can imagine like a, a graph with a line on it and suddenly phew there's a, a sharp uh rise in the line and then a and maybe even a sharp fall but you ima- a spike basically refers to you know on a graph a spike is like a sudden um uh, a sudden rise in something and it's like a, it goes up suddenly a bit like a spike okay so um uh, th- this list reveals the words and phrases which have seen a spike in usage meaning a, a a sharp increase in in usage during the year these are words that were used more in this 12-month period than any other time really or that significantly more in this 12-month period than than at other times in some cases it means words which have been around for ages but which have come back significantly this year so they're not necessarily brand new words that have been invented this year it just means words that have been used a lot this year it's not just a list of the oh it's 12 i thought it was 10 it's not just a list of the 12 most frequent words though i expect that this that that list would be a bit boring if it was just uh the most frequent words of the year that would be boring because you know the the most frequent words are always things like the or you or I, so it's not the twelve most frequently used words, but the words which have seen the biggest increase in use over the twelve month period. They might also be new words which have suddenly started being used a lot. Many of the words are actually two word phrases or portmanteaus. A portmanteau is a like a, a word that's been Made from already existing words, yeah. Okay, uh, a portmanteau is a word made by combining two other words together. For example, Brexit is a portmanteau, Britain and exit Brexit. Manspread is a portmanteau, that's the words obviously man and spread. Because if you can imagine a man sitting down and spreading his legs out wide, like, yeah, spreading my legs out because I'm a man um even though i'm sitting on the train i'll just spread my legs out and take up all the space because i'm manspreading that's that's a portmanteau word other ones things like spork that's a, a cross between a spoon and a fork a spork A uh, hangry which is a combination of the words uh hungry and angry and hangry is when you are angry because you're hungry so okay so many of these are portmanteau words as you'll see These words reveal the year's hot topics, the things that have been discussed a lot over the last 12 months, particularly in the media, including conventional and online media. Now, it's not completely clear to me how Collins comes up with the list. What's their criteria for choosing these words? I've been trying to find out for ages, but basically I think it goes something like this. And this is interesting because it tells us how dictionaries work. Okay, so, Luke, how do dictionaries work? Uh, You might be asking. Well, as far as I know, uh, this is how it goes. So how do these dictionary makers or lexicographers keep track of language? How do they know which words are being used more than others? Do they just decide on their own because they're experts? Um no, they don't they use data, okay? So generally dictionaries use these things called corpora in order to monitor the frequency and context in which words are being used. Okay? So dictionary makers monitor the language using corpora. A corpora is a huge database of language, okay? Imagine a machine which counts words and word combinations. Right? Imagine if you could record every bit of language usage meaning every conversation and everything written down if you could just record every single uh bit of language that's being used all the time and you could record it and then feed it into the machine now that machine could then tell you exactly how often certain words are used that's frequency and uh how they are used for example with which other words uh you know in in combination with which other words and what kind of grammatical form and so on, so this the results or the 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 yeah the um, the collection of data that would be produced by this machine, this would be a corpora containing every single bit of language usage, every single word which is spoken or written down. Now this isn't really possible, I guess, because dictionary makers don't have access to that kind of information. they can't record absolutely everything, right. Uh, that would be a bit creepy and scary. Imagine them just recording everything we said, like spying on everything we're saying and recording it all. Um, I know some people think that governments and corporations are actually doing this, like maybe Facebook or Google is somehow recording everything we're saying, <clears throat> like perhaps using our phones to spy on us and record what we say that so that they can, I don't know, use their use the information for some purpose like they can sell the data to marketing companies or perhaps for some other more sinister reasons but that's another story for another time the point here is that it's very difficult for dictionary makers to know exactly how language is used uh, because they can't record absolutely everything, but they do their best to get as much data as possible. So the machine I mentioned is not actually... F- it's is really not that far from being true. The corpora that dictionary makers like Collins actually use are huge databases, but they don't contain records of absolutely all the English that's spoken or written. However, they are often very extensive. They make... um in fact, they make these corpora as extensive as possible. They get as much into, they get as much English into them as possible. In fact, it's impressive and amazing just how much language usage they manage to record and monitor. Uh, Collins dictionaries use the Collins corpus. Okay, um, that's basically the, that's the the database of language that that Collins dictionaries use. It's called the Collins corpus. Uh, Here are a couple of paragraphs about the Collins Corpus from collins.co.uk. So what's in the Collins Corpus? The Collins Corpus is an analytical database of English with over 4.5 billion words. It contains written material from websites, newspapers, magazines and books published around the world and spoken material from radio, TV and everyday conversations. Now I don't know which conversations or who they're listening to and how, but they say that uh, they do use everyday conversations too somehow. I, I mean, I don't think anyone's worried about uh, Collins dictionaries spying on us. That's not the story here. Uh, in fact, it's amazing that Collins do manage to collect so much data. New data is fed into the corpus every month to help the Collins dictionary editors identify new words and meanings from the moment they that, that they are first used uh what does the corpus tell us well all co-build dictionaries and by the way co-build is an acronym for Collins Birmingham University International Language Database and it's uh it, cobuild is a, a british research facility set up at the university of birmingham in 1980 and funded by collins publishers so all cobuild dictionaries you might have a collins cobuild dictionary if it's a if it's cobuild it means it's based on the uh, uh the collins corpus okay all cobuild dictionaries are based on the information found in the collins corpus the database the full corpus contains billion words, uh, then the Bank of English is a subset of that corpus of just 650 million words from a carefully chosen selection of sources to give a balanced and accurate reflection of English as it's used today. Okay. So this is what we're dealing with, like big databases of, uh, of, of language usage. So it's not just a panel of judges or experts who decide which words go into the dictionary. It's the data which tells Collins which words people are actually using, and therefore the dictionary becomes an accurate and impartial source of information. Basically, it can tell us how English is really used, not how some people think it should be used, okay? Uh, it's. I feel I feel like it's worth pointing that out, because when some people think about dictionaries or grammar books and often you know collins grammar books are based on the 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 the, the corpus and he, that includes um a lot of published materials which are based on corpora um and uh a lot of things like you know cambridge advanced english exam preparation materials might be uh based on uh these databases including databases of um uh speaking exams where they can uh, keep a record of like common mistakes, which is how a lot of those um, exam preparation course books are designed. They're designed as a, you know, based on the fact that, okay, we've identified that here are some of the most common mistakes. And so the exercises are based on sort of trying to help students learn to overcome those common mistakes by, you know, teaching certain colif- col- uh, collocations and certain grammar points that people often get wrong. So anyway, I feel like it's worth pointing all of this out because when some people think about dictionaries or grammar books and linguistics, they immediately start to think of people judging other people's English. That's what they think of. Like They see a dictionary or you see someone who works with dictionaries and they just Im- immediately start to get even defensive about, oh, you know, you're just judging people's English or something. And, you know, the, the linguists are all about just deciding what's right and what's wrong and being judgmental. Well, it's it's actually much more for want of a better word, uh, democratic than that. However, in the case of the words of the year, I think there are some limitations, and these limitations sometimes cause us to think, like, what, really? When we actually see the list of words of the year when it is published. I mean, despite the fact that a lot of this is based on data, I, sometimes when I read the words of the year, the year, I see words and I think, what? I haven't used that word. I've never, I haven't heard anyone else using that word. Where's that come from? And you start to think, oh, it's kind of... I see that's these words of the year are really words that have been used a lot in the media uh, it's it's used by journalists writing about life and not necessarily used by people on the street to talk about their experience it's in some cases yes but in some cases no so we'll see I'll talk about the words as we go through them and talk about whether I think you know people have actually been using them or if it's just the sort of They're just buzzwords that have been used a lot in the media for for whatever reason. Um, Because the data comes from mainly written sources and from the media in general, like conventional and social media, I expect, I think the language is skewed towards the kinds of things that are written about or discussed online or in the press. So I get the sense it's not completely representative of the things that people have been saying. It's more representative of what people have been saying or writing about in the media and online. So the words of the year end up telling us a lot about the stories being reported in the press and trends in the general culture in that way. Um, These are words that have seen a spike in usage, as I said. We might not use these words that much in everyday conversation well in some cases yes but in other cases less so in my conversations anyway but they have been used this year more than before even even if you you know even if i haven't been using them they have been used this year more than before and they do reflect issues which have been important in society also collins do have judges who help to pick the words of the year so it's not just based on the data the dictionaries and the grammar books and stuff, they are largely based on the data, but I think the words of the year is, I think for that there is some human selection going on there as well. Um, but who knows? I mean, it's, it's, been, it's actually very hard to find out the specific process of how the words of the year are selected. Um, but dictionaries and grammar books are based on the big data, mostly. Now, I've picked the Collins list this year rather than, say, the Merriam-Webster dictionary list because... It's generally a British English dictionary, but they do include American English and English from, from other places. So it's it's global English, but from a British point of view. Um, their list seems to me personally to be better than the other lists. For example, Oxford this year chose the word, uh, Oxford in, in 2017 chose the word youthquake as their word of the year. Now, I've I've not heard that word at all. I didn't hear that word at all in 2017. By the way, uh youthquake, yeah, Oxford Dictionary's 2017 word of the year. Um it says the word has increased in usage five, five-fold, so that's been a the word the word youthquake apparently in 2017 according to Oxford. Um has, has, has gone up five times. Um, in, in, in its usage, uh, especially during the UK's general election, according to Oxford, it's defined as a significant cultural, political or social change arising from the actions or influence of young people. So maybe like, you know, the surprising results of the general election in 2017 are considered to be a, a youth quake, like a youth quake has altered the Westminster landscape or things like that. <clears throat> wasn't a word that was in my world uh, though last year so I didn't hear that word at all in 2017 whereas the Collins word of the year is definitely something I've heard a lot and I think is very relevant to the current culture I'll be going through that list I promise you'll find out the words in in due course and also I've chosen Collins because I really like the Collins Online Dictionary. It's well designed, it works well, and they provide all the information you need when you're looking for a word, including all the things that you would expect, like the definition of, of uh, obviously, examples, parts of speech, phonetic script, audio of the word, but also things like the frequency of the word over time and a simple rating showing you if it's commonly used or not. Not every word that you find is vital to your English. Uh, It's worth considering how frequent it's used when deciding if you're going to learn it. Remember it and use it yourself. It helps you to be more selective about the vocabulary you're learning. So getting some data from your dictionary, like the Collins Online Dictionary, can be useful. It can help you be more selective Uh, collinsdictionary.com you can use it when you're checking new words remember to check what kind of dictionary you're using for example you should make sure that it's an english english dictionary i think um So most of these words in this list reveal important trending issues and deep divisions in society today. Almost all of them involve some level of debate. But anyway, let's get started with the Collins words of the year 2017. You're thinking, let's get started. Didn't we start like half an hour ago? Yeah, we did. But but here's the list. Now, the, the, the number one word in this list, and I'm starting from the top, the Collins word of the year 2017 was fake news. And you're thinking, yeah, of course it was fake news. Wow, that's a word that's been knocking around a lot. In 2017, you heard it and read it a lot, and also through to 2018. This is a seriously big concept, and um, you can see why Collins made it their word of the year for 2017. What is fake news? Well, according to Collins, it's a noun, which means false, often sensational information information. Uh, disseminated meaning spread around under the guise of news reporting so it's basically information which is presented as news presented as fact but in fact is is false it's often sensational the sort of thing that again appeals to your emotions and it's you know those sorts of bullshit news stories where you know the statistics are just made up or or the statistics have been manipulated and it's the kind of story that is a, is supposed to appeal to your emotions and it's basically just straight up propaganda or lies information that's been presented as fact, usually in some sort of news report, but is actually not true and is probably just being used for propaganda purposes. That's what we're talking about with fake news. Now, the f- the phrase fake news strikes right at the core of the struggle that currently exists around objective truth and the manipulation of information for political advantage. I think it proves that we're living in a scary time where our basic right to objective and impartial news reporting is under threat, which in turn threatens our basic human rights. This is how important uh, this whole subject is. Fake news could mean several things. This is the tricky thing. It's a slippery idea. Fake news could mean several things depending on who you are. It's very contentious. Meaning controversial, it's likely to cause disagreement between people. So it's kind of contentious or controversial except that everybody is using it people on both sides of arguments are using both you know both sides of the political divide or all sides of the political divide everyone's using fake news everyone's pointing their finger at information and calling it fake news the contentious thing is that nobody quite agrees on which news is the fake news different people with different political agendas use the phrase in different ways i'm going to talk about two ways that it's used basically so one is fake news the term fake news is used uh when reporting things that aren't true or distorting facts in order to push an agenda so that's the main definition i gave so that's you know fake news is basically you know we 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 call fake news which is basically news reports that are not true or sort of you know twisting the facts to push an agenda and the second use of fake news is when people call things fake news in order to discredit them for some political reason so this is like something basically this is like when donald trump says that certain news reports are fake news so the the act of describing something as fake news can be a sort of political um, uh, strategy as well. So there's fake news and then there's calling things fake news for poli- for, as a political strategy. That's, those are the two things I'm talking about. So the, so starting with the first point, the term fake news is used to talk about genuinely fake stories. Yeah, that's right. Genuinely fake do those two words go together? Well, yeah, they do. I mean, stories which are, like, re- they really are fake, truly fake stories. So it's the, the, the term is used to talk about genuinely fake stories which are written and disseminated, meaning spread around, uh, in the traditional media and online and which are full of mistruths, lies and deception. These sorts of stories are used either just to make profit for example, clickbait, just, which is designed just to make you click on it. And it's full of stuff that is it, it, it triggers your emotions and you click on it. But bit, essentially, they're just trying to get as many clicks as possible for the advertising they've got on their page. So these sorts of stories are either used just to make profit or for some political motive. For example, there are suggestions that there are clickbait farms. These are sort of, I guess, kind of shady offices or shady like uh, rooms full of people on computers just creating clickbait <clears throat> creating stories which are designed uh, to appeal to people's emotions and stuff you know you've seen the clickbait on the internet um, but there are suggestions like clickbait as i said could be for profit clickbait sometimes is designed to kind of influence your opinion on things as a sort of a political tool it's a bit shady and the whole thing is a bit shady and mysterious and uh, dark so there are suggestions that there are clickbait farms targeting certain internet users with clickbait stories clickbait farms imagine like an office full of people just producing loads of this sort of propaganda which then gets spread out on social media So there are suggestions. There are these clickbait farms targeting certain internet users with clickbait stories or with carefully placed fake news stories which are used as propaganda to serve certain agendas, like, for example, to influence public opinion or to influence voting behaviour and so on. More specifically... There are the claims that the voting in the 2016 US presidential election and the UK Brexit referendum were affected by campaigns of fake news on social media. The origins of this fake news could be anywhere. Whichever power block or interest group wants to push a certain viewpo- viewpoint or in this case influence the outcome of the election. The allegations are that certain groups in the 2016 presidential election the allegations are that certain groups would benefit from trump getting into power and so they disseminated fake news about hillary clinton in order to tarnish her image now me saying that just just stating the this that might trigger you i don't know because you know anything about hillary triggers people because you know she's a very contentious person Uh, but me saying me uh, like stating that i think that there was fake news about hillary that doesn't mean that i think all the reports about hillary were were fake or anything critical said of hillary clinton is fake that's not what i'm saying but i i do believe and we know it's true now that a lot of a lot of reports were published that essentially were just not true or very very ambiguous in the way that they handled information about her. I mean, that's just one example. You know, I mean, you could pick any, pick all sorts of other subjects and uh, we can see that there's fake news published about it as well. So the allegations were that certain groups would benefit from Trump getting into power. And so they did whatever they could to try and influence the election, including disseminating fake news about Hillary Clinton, like you know stories about her being being on the edge on the on the verge of death, or in, in uh, stories about her uh, having all sorts of neurological health issues. And there were a hell of a lot of those sorts of stories going around. Uh, as i said the origin of this fake news it's not always clear it could be certain political power blocks or it could just be individuals who've just decided to to sort of let's say manipulate video footage to make it look like hillary clinton is is like on the verge of having some sort of spasm or, or whatever it was do you remember that stuff um so anyway this sort of thing is particularly widespread on social media and it's not just limited to news outlets It means certain social media profiles or pages on Facebook or Twitter accounts and stuff like that, YouTube accounts, pushing a certain narrative which isn't really true. And it can be done by anyone. There are other examples of publishing false, distorted or clearly biased information which is passed off as news but which is there to support a particular motive. Other examples of this, for example, biased reports about the European Union in the right-wing press. Now again this doesn't mean that every report that's critical of the EU is fake but over the years in the British press there have been a lot of um yeah there's been a lot of fake news about the EU over the years and in fact there's there's a, there are famous uh, examples of it for example there's a uh, a list of famous cases of fake news Uh, against the eu i think i'm going to start with one that was published in the daily express here's a report from the daily express on the 21st of october 2003 so that's even before that's years before the eu referendum was on the table but this just shows you how the uk press or certain newspapers have been over the years dripping uh fake news or manipulated stories or biased stories about the eu into the british consciousness over the over many years so here's here's a story a quick story published in the daily express 21st of october 2003 page 20 of the newspaper and it's it this is the story it says eu bans playtime fun areas shut in safety move okay <clears throat> so the, the idea is that the european union has banned like they've prohibited Certain types of children's play areas or, or, um, like certain types of uh playtime for children. So the story goes like this children's playgrounds are being closed all over the country as councils that's like local administrative um councils, uh, children's playgrounds are being closed all over the country as councils find it impossible to keep pace with european safety standards it means a trip to a play area with traditional swings slides roundabouts and climbing frames could become a rare treat for the nation's children one city is considering shutting 150 play areas because of the new safety rules and the rising cost of insurance okay so basically it's saying uh, because of the eu law uh, Many uh, councils across the country are being forced to close uh, traditional play areas for children. Play areas, I mean, if you know, most towns across the country will have spaces where there are swings, roundabouts, climbing frames, slides, play areas or playgrounds for children. These are just provided, you know, by the local council for local children to play on. And, you know, it's they're brilliant. They're they are. Um, absolutely a, a, a vital part of any town or, or village you know a little children's play area provided by the local council and for generations children have grown up playing in these play areas i played in my local play areas when i was a kid playing on the slides and the roundabouts and stuff like that so this story is saying children's play areas are being closed all over the country as, as, as councils find it impossible to keep up with European safety standards. So that the, the, the impression that we get here is that the EU is imposing this law, and as a result, uh, British councils have to close play areas. So children are losing out on, uh, you know, the nation's children are losing the opportunity to play in public because of the European Union. Now, um, according to, this is Euromyths, uh, the website, um, and the link is on the page for this episode according to the commentary here it says that the daily express ran a story of local playground swings being torn down earlier this year they even published a letter from the european commission pointing out that the eu had no involvement at all however that didn't prevent them publishing this very similar story only a few months later the measures concerned were set by the European Committee for Standardisation, which is a non-EU body, so it's nothing to do with the European Union. Comprised of standards agencies from 22 European countries, including the British Standards Institution, it sets voluntary guidelines and is a separate institution from the EU. So this, so these so-called um, European safety standards. And it even says EU bans playtime in the title of the the, the Daily Express's article, uh, but it wasn't the EU; it was the European Committee for Standardisation. Nothing to do with the EU. It's just stand, safety standard aid, standards agencies from 22 European countries, including Britain, uh, get together to to basically publish lists of advice. You know, for local councils, like here's advice on how. Uh, you can make your playgrounds safer. So this appears to say that the EU is shutting down kids' playgrounds and kids are now unable to enjoy old-fashioned fun like swings, roundabouts and climbing frames, and it's all because of the EU law. But Uh, The EU is going to ban children from enjoying traditional playing areas. The EU is crushing the very foundation of British culture again. And this time, they're going for our kids. That's what it looks like. But in reality, this law was in fact just a voluntary guideline from a non-EU body, not even in the EU, not even, you know, an EU legislative body. Uh, It just happened to have the word European in the title, because it was, you know, a collection of European standards agencies, including Britain which also includes a british representative so you know it's not them and us because we're involved in it too and it's there to publish advisory safety guidelines like basically hey here are some tips if you want to if you want your playgrounds to be a bit safer take it or leave it okay have a nice day take care bye so maybe local councils are considering closing down playgrounds but not necessarily anything to do with the european union maybe it's just because they don't they're not getting enough sort of uh, financial support to keep the playgrounds going. And maybe that's a a UK government issue. So it's nothing to do with the EU and city councils have no obligation to comply with advice from this agency. The story was basically printed as a deliberate distortion as part of an anti-EU bias that you get in newspapers like the Daily Express. And anyway, it was probably, you know, the standards agency advice was probably very good advice. You know, it, it was probably things like, here's how you can make the playground safer so that kids don't you know injure themselves i remember when when i was growing up in the 80s in england our playgrounds were you know pretty dangerous actually uh you know they were just concrete on the ground we had swings we had roundabouts and and slides and climbing frames and underneath it was just hard concrete and i i remember i cut my head open lots of times and so did my brother just falling off roundabouts or falling off swings the number of times we would go spinning round on the roundabouts really quickly and you'd fall off and bang, you'd hit your head on the concrete floor and you get a bloody scalp. You know, you cut your head open, you'd cry and your mum would take you home and, and she'd have to clean you and, you know, like dress the wound. And that happened quite a lot. It's, it's, you know, kind of surprising that we didn't get injured more seriously. So now playgrounds have to have a kind of rubbery surface wherever there are swings and things like that. And you know, good it's good to in, to incorporate more safe measures in playgrounds, you know? British playgrounds of the past were obviously wonderful in the sense that we grew up there and childhood is full of fun memories, but a lot of kids got hurt as well in these places that couldn't that that could have been safer than they were. Sometimes certain newspapers in the UK just they have this image that everything in the past in Britain's past was brilliant you know the golden age and you know changes that take us away from that uh, are are all crazy and bad and just uh, uh, health and safety gone mad and stuff like that sometimes certain newspapers in the UK just look at the past through rose tinted glasses so that's the first use of fake news like just talking about stories which are genuinely not true let's move on to the second use of fake news this is when people label certain reporting as fake just because they want to discredit it as part of their attempt to gain control or power for example people say that Trump his entourage his administration and his supporters use the phrase fake news to discredit any report that criticizes him and his agenda if the report is not flattering or positive they'll just say it's fake news and it's all part of a cynical approach to just basically kind of discredit the media and um you know it's a power it's a power move isn't it media outlets that don't follow the current pro trump narrative for example might report on stories such as the number of people attending trump's inauguration like when trump became when he was inaugurated as president you know like media outlets that don't follow the current pro trump narrative might report on stories such as the number of people attending trump's inauguration or even details of inquiries and allegations about criminal acts involving the president now these reports make trump look bad they they make him look unpopular but they also might make him look a bit like a criminal or a traitor and also these things could get him in serious legal trouble they could end up they could result in him being impeached However, Trump supporters who who just want to believe in the man for whatever reason, even if that reason is somehow an honest one, like, for example, you know, we think Trump will be good for jobs, you know, he's going to protect American jobs, which is a decent reason, you know, fair enough. But people who support Trump and certain media companies who perhaps support Trump because of the owners Because the owners of those media companies have some kind of vested interest in keeping him in keeping him in power. Anyway, people and media companies—you know—these people and media outlets simply dismiss the reports against Trump as fake news and part of a so-called liberal or left-wing conspiracy to remove Trump from office. So, fake news in this say in this sense is part of the language of sort of dismissing reports that you just don't agree with and that don't fit into your agenda Trump himself often talks about how the mainstream media is fake he just says he just dismisses it all as fake mainly because it doesn't say positive things about him now perhaps this is egotism or perhaps it's a far more calculated and cynical attempt to silence the media in any case, Trump and his supporters use the term fake news to discredit negative reports, uh, news reports about him. This is kind of dangerous, really, for a president to be throwing his weight around in this way um, when, you know, a, a free press is a vital thing for any healthy democracy. You might argue that it works for other people and other groups too. It, obviously, it's not just Trump. I'm just using Trump as an example there. Other people lie as well or make fake or false accusations as well. I'm sure they do. I'm just using Trump here as a very famous case of someone crying fake news in response to reporting that doesn't really fit with their agenda. Feel free to name any other cases of this happening because I'm sure there are plenty. Um, but the, this kind of silencing of the media, and it is a form of silencing of the media, just sort of just dismissing... Uh, you know, whole news agencies as fake is a sort of silencing of the media. Uh, This kind of thing happens because when you control the information being received by the public, you then have a massive amount of influence over how people see the world, which certainly means that you can control how you're perceived, how your enemies are perceived and what you're doing and, and so on. So basically, when the government controls the media in your country, it's akin to living in a controlled state. It's almost like controlling the media and now online media means that you get to control reality itself. It's complicated, isn't it? Things aren't black and white. Facts are slippery and the truth can be hard to hold on to. In fact, its I think it's really hard to know which information is real and which information is fake when you consider that a single story can look very different from various points of view. Maybe we can argue that there's no such thing as objective truth because the position from which you view something can totally affect the way that you see it. Also, our attitude towards the story can cloud our judgment. Even when you don't mean to put a certain spin on an event, even when you don't mean to be biased about an event, you might subconsciously do it in the way that you describe the story. It's also true about the way people consume news. Confirmation bias is a well-established concept, which basically means that people tend to just understand events and interpret events in ways that confirm their existing worldview. Some people might see the same event and come away with two completely different conclusions of what it all means. I think I've talked about this before. I must have talked about confirmation bias before. Confirmation bias yeah the idea that people just will see an event and they'll interpret it in a way that just confirms the way they already see the world and that could be like two people seeing an event in two totally different ways taking different things from them things that probably just confirm what they already believed. Some people might see the same event and come away with two completely different conclusions of what it all means. For example, the London riots of 2011. Do you, do you remember those things? I've talked about the London riots in 2011 before. Um, this is when protests against police brutality turned into fighting with the police and then the the, the damaging of public property. OK, uh, just think of like people... Uh, Uh, people fighting uh, and people fighting the police in parts of London and then that turning into just people smashing up uh, public areas and then people smashing shop windows and stealing things from the shops okay all right so those the events the of, of the London riots different people interpret those events in different ways now this is probably a generalization but Okay, this is definitely a generalisation, but let's go with it. Um, A Labour voter someone who votes labor sort of a left wing type person from the uk might see the riots as evidence that the government is not doing enough to support poor communities in london like poor communities these these people are angry because they feel like they've been sort of forgotten by the government because of austerity you know the government cutting back on its public spending so labor supporters who have this general view that we need to try and support local communities and we need to you know Spend more on, on, on welfare programs and support working people and, and, and support people who are disadvantaged. That's the general view of, of your typical Labour voter. So a Labour voter might see the riots as evidence that the government is not doing enough, that it's the government's fault and that it fits into their whole narrative, that the government's not doing enough to support poor communities in London and Conservative voters who have a you know a different vision they have a different view of things they you know their view is that basically individuals shouldn't rely on government support and that you know the only way you can raise your uh, your 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 kind of standard of living is to take in responsibility for yourself and to work hard and not expect the government to give you handouts so conservative voters might conclude that the rioters just need sort of hard justice and that the rioters need to have more individual responsibility and it's that they have no one else to blame and this is simply criminal behavior and they all need to be punished you see so the way you already see the world affects how you interpret events and this includes the way people react to news another example i made a youtube video about the royal family in 2010 or 2011 i think i don't know if you've seen it you can find it on my website. Uh, it's called Royal Family Opinions, I think. And now I, I just wanted to collect footage of various people in London, where, where I was living at the time, uh, giving their opinions about the royals. Okay, So I went round with my video camera and I just asked people, hey, what do you think of the royal family? Do you have any, you know, uh, any good things or bad things about them, favourite members of the royal family or least favourite members? I wanted to get as many different opinions as I could find about the royal family. And I wanted to collect samples of language for giving opinions. That's what I was looking for. A range of opinions and a, and a, and a variety of, of language for giving opinions. So I published it and comments in the comment section that like, you know, a lot of the comments as usual are things like, oh, thanks. You know, this is really helpful for our English, but some comments um, uh, like pe- people had opinions that people were a bit triggered by the video in some cases and some comments in the comment section on YouTube sort of oscillated between two positions. Some people were going, he's obviously against the royals, meaning the video maker, me, whose voice you can hear in the background of the video. He's obviously against the royals on one hand. And on the other hand, people saying he's not very objective. He's obviously looking for positive comments about the royals. So some people were saying that I was obviously biased in favour of the royals. Other people were saying I was obviously biased against them. In fact, I just wanted to get both sides of the opinion in my video. I was looking for both positive and negative comments, and I was pushing for both. For example, if someone said something positive, I asked them about a negative point. So if they said, if I said, what do you think of the royal family? Good things, bad things, bad things, good things. And someone said something good, and I was like, well, what about bad things? You got any bad things to say about them? And vice versa. If someone told me their favourite royal, I would then ask about their least favourite. Okay so if someone said oh my favorite royal's prince harry and then I'd say okay who's your least favorite and why so if they said something negative I'd ask them if they had any positive things to say too so I was trying to do it in both directions but people just saw one aspect the the, sort of the bits that they didn't agree with so they uh, they only saw me pushing either a positive or negative agenda Generally, those people who don't like the royals thought I was trying to promote the monarchy, and those who love the monarchy thought I was looking for negative opinions. Not all the comments were like that. Okay, not all of them. Most of them were just, you know, normal comments, n- no one, you know, not triggered, people not, not people being triggered. But I noticed that the, the people who sort of seemed to be a, a bit pissed off were either in one of those two camps. So people's existing attitude towards the subject whether they supported the royal family or not, influenced their assessment of my video, which was only supposed to provide a record of authentic language, and therefore I just wanted to collect some engaging and truthful opinions. This kind of thing happens a lot. People consume information in the way that confirms their existing beliefs and prejudices. You could say the same thing about the BBC. People criticise the BBC from both sides. People on the right say the BBC is obviously pushing a left-wing agenda. People on the left say the BBC is just um, part of the establishment and is there to maintain the status quo i think this is a major aspect of life today in which we're so plugged into information systems like the internet it's like so much of what we experience of the world is mediated it just comes through the media I know it sounds scary and maybe I'm being a bit pessimistic, but it's it's like we're getting closer and closer to the matrix where all of our experience is not through primary experience, like stuff we actually experience ourselves, but through the secondary experience of seeing it in a video or seeing it in a social media post or something. And that's not proper experience. That's mediated information. It's really hard to know what the truth is, and in fact, people are so bombarded by information, which is often manipulated to the point where people no longer trust facts and actually just go with gut instinct the whole idea of objective fact or truth has been kind of worn down basically we've been bullshitted and lied to so much over the years and we've become so cynical as a result that the entire system of trust seems to have broken down and we just don't believe what we and well we don't believe some things and we just believe what we want to believe and that's it And this is exactly why post-truth was the 2016 Word of the Year. It's no longer about the facts. It's about people driven by emotion and feelings, not expert opinion. And I think the 2017 Word of the Year fake news is, you know, all part of the same thing. But even, you know, even our gut instincts are manipulated by information. Just go back to the Euro myths for, for a moment. And that one example I gave you from the the Daily Express is just one of many, 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 many similar stories, which actually, when they are fact-checked, turn out to be wrong and disingenuous and sinister in the way that they are painting a certain picture. And, you know, if you imagine the British, the, the, the people who read those newspapers like the daily express or the daily mail and those are some of the most popular newspapers in the country the compound effect of years and years and years of little stories little headlines certain words and certain images being conjured up that over the years people it starts to affect people's not intellectual opinion but their gut instinct their feelings like their sort of yeah their 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 gut instinct about something like the european union for decades, the right-wing press in the UK has been drip-feeding the UK various myths about the EU to the point that many British citizens have an instinctive distrust of anything EU-related without even really being able to explain why. Now, I, that sounds patronising, like they can't even explain why. But in in all seriousness, it is true because whenever I've seen arguments on social media uh, from Brexiters, who claim that the eu is is undemocratic when you actually start get into the the nitty-gritty the details the evidence often their arguments break down because it's just a sort of an emotional argument and it's based on certain buzzwords like we're taking back control how exactly are we taking back control by leaving leaving the european union but you know when you start to get into the specifics um these things kind of break down so this is bound to be connected to very powerful inbuilt feelings from thousands of years of British people living on an island and living in fear of the others who live beyond the borders of that island. Like I think the fact that, you know, the UK is an island, there is this generations and generations and generations and generations of just this sense of them and us. That must be a deep-seated feeling of, of distrust, you know, which comes from basic kind of tribalism, from a bygone era, when it was probably wise not to trust people who came from another land across the sea, perhaps that kind of feeling is what certain newspapers have profited from over the years. that kind of deep gut instinct of slight mistrust of the the, the other there's always a large section of the British population that 's innately mistrustful of the countries on the European continent and poking this sense of mistrust is actually what sells newspapers i mean maybe that's what they're doing these papers that they just they've got like an emotional button and every time they press it the british public gets triggered so that they get triggered by the news article it's like shock the the sort of it's a sort of like a i don't know like some sort of basic call and response kind of thing where the the newspapers press the shock button and the british public gets shocked and they get locked into this sort of psychological cycle of buying the newspapers just because they enjoy the, f- the sensation of being shocked and made angry and at the same time these papers have all these pictures of sexy celebrities on them all as well so it's like a heady melting pot of shock and outrage and and um, and and lust and guilt and anger and all of these emotions wrapped up in the pages of what looks like a on a first glance like a respectable newspaper but actually it's just like this horrible emotional roller coaster that people little emotional pill that people this bitter little emotional pill that people can take every day confirming people's kind of you know base instincts and oh i don't know i'm ranting i'm ranting now aren't i this has become a rant <laughs> um but uh, poking this mi- this sense of mistrust is what sells papers. That's why these papers always bang on about Winston Churchill and they show pictures of UK flags and they shock their readers with stories about how Britain is being invaded and controlled in some way. It's not just Britain either. This kind of thing happens all over the place, doesn't it? Perhaps we're all victims of manipulation by the media and or even just the limitations of the media. It doesn't even have to be manipulated. It's not necessarily that there's some person controlling it all. It's, it could just be the, the 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 medium itself is limited. The medium itself breeds this kind of bias. It's impossible to avoid it. And this doesn't just mean the stuff on TV and in newspapers, but the way our culture is expressed and represented and consumed by all forms of information delivery today. This means all the media, TV papers, advertising, films, and absolutely everything online that's now part of our everyday reality. More and more of what we see and more of the, the way we actually consume the world around us and understand it more and more of that is a, con- is a construct. I mean, there was a time not that long ago when most people's sort of understanding of the world was based on just the stuff that happened to them, not the, st- not the information that they were exposed to all the time from every single device around them. So more and more of what we see is a construct, something that's being constructed, especially when we live our lives through the internet. And what's interesting to me is that reality itself is being negotiated by political forces, which use our information systems in strategic ways. What can we do about it? I'm not sure, really. I'm really not sure. And I'm not sure I'm the one to come up with a solution. Of course I'm not. I'm just Luke from Luke's English Podcast. Why would I be the one? I mean, yeah, no. Uh, It's probably a good idea to get off social media, or at least take it with a pinch of salt. If you take something with a pinch of salt, it's kind of like you kind of you don't really believe it or you don't put too much faith in it. Just take it with a pinch of salt. Like if you know if there's someone you someone you know who uh, let let's say uh, someone you know who they they tend to exaggerate quite a lot like someone you know who's who, who you say to them how are you and they're like oh i'm not i'm really unwell i think i might think i might be oh i think i've got cancer i think i'm dying and, and it's like oh have you been to see a doctor about that it's like no, no i just i just feel i've just googled it i just i'm sure that i've got some horrible disease and he's like oh god you know uh what's her name doesn't seem to be very well and you go yeah well she's always just take it with a pinch of salt i think she's just looking for attention oh all right Actually, I mean, in some cases, uh, it's worth paying attention to someone's complaints. But you know what I mean? It's just an example of the expression, take it with a pinch of salt. Uh, like the stuff you read in the in the newspapers, yeah. Depending on the newspaper, you can just sort of take it with a pinch of salt, really. Uh, yeah, so uh, it's also, yeah, so it's, it's probably a good idea to get off social media or at least some of the stories you get on social media just take it with a pinch of salt and that includes things you know even just people's personal instagram stories and that's not even stuff about politics just people about hey i lost this much weight and look how i've been working out in the gym and look how perfect my body is take it with a pinch of salt because the pictures that you may have seen on instagram of some uh, girl with a perfectly sculpted body and you know she's got like this great ass that's that's just the photo that you're seeing she might have spent the entire day trying to get the perfect photo maybe she didn't eat for two days in order to try and get her her that skinny waist maybe she's pushing herself into a very uncomfortable pair of pants and forcing herself into a difficult position that the reality of the photo is that she's really hungry she's really upset and stressed out and she's been taking photos of herself for hours and hours and hours and she's miserable and she hates her own body but she feels like she's got to publish pictures of her herself looking fantastic just in order to feel good about herself that sometimes these instagram models uh are i mean it's very unhealthy really and so you should just take it with a pinch of salt it you know the the camera never lies they say well it's just not true the camera lies plenty um so um So, take it with a pinch of salt because social media is a breeding ground for fake news, twisting of facts, emotional storytelling, and a lack of accountability where you don't really know where the information is coming from or who's behind it. It's also worth remembering to use, well, to try to use critical thinking at all times. Don't just accept what you see or read. Think about where this information is coming from and whether it's being used to push a certain agenda. That's easy to say, of course. Listen to me ranting about this stuff and. I, I've, I've just realized I sound like I'm being very preachy you know it's like I'm preaching like as if you don't know all this stuff already I'm sure that you're well aware of this you don't need me preaching it to you like hey I've worked all this stuff out I think I need to tell you because you don't know um I'm sure that you're you probably know this already I'm just <coughs> I guess I'm just giving my thoughts based on the the word of the year from 2017 which was fake news and 2016 post truth it's hard to know what to do and what to believe isn't it it's hard to know what to believe sometimes but then again some stuff is just obviously bullshit isn't it yeah it is um this is the end of part 1 of this series about the words of the year uh, we've got more words to come. I think I'll probably spend less time on the other words, but there are other words coming. I just got one word out: uh, fake news. Okay, I'll I'll deal with. I I reckon I can deal with all the other words from 2017 in the next episode, and then well, in a couple of days uh, on Friday, in fact, I'm planning to see Amber, and we're gonna we're gonna deal with all the words from 2018 all of the words of the years from uh, words of the year from 2018 that's what's coming up um so yeah i was ranting quite a lot there and i talked about trump and i mentioned a few other things i hope you didn't get triggered i think probably my listeners you're all cool aren't you i mean you you you're reasonable people we're able to just have reasonable conversations about these things yeah i think so all right then well leave your comments in the comment section but you know be excellent to each other i believe that i think that's a good good um phrase to live by just try to be nice to each other be excellent to each other i think it's probably fair enough um yeah okay thanks for listening and i'll speak to you in the next part but for now goodbye Bye, bye 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 Thanks for listening to Luke's English podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen,